Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, my name is Alan Moore and you're listening to Gaelic Games Europe's twice-weekly podcast, This Sunday's Game. A very warm welcome to This Sunday's Game. We have a show that I know you're going to really enjoy, unless you're from Kerry. And even then, our guest reaches out with an olive branch to the kingdom. Joining us from Middleton in the Republic of Cork, we have six-time All-Ireland Senior Football Champion, Orla Farmer. Soon, of course, to be Dr. Farmer. Now we'll find out just how she began her GAA journey, how playing Gaelic football has given her a path to her current career, and just how to lessen the drop-off in participation rates in sports, especially amongst the girls. But first, a bit of news. Irish Minister for Transport, Tourism and Sport Shane Ross stated last week that there would not be a rushed return to sport. While he is allowing horse racing to come back on June 8th behind closed doors and surfing also, he is rather more cautious on team sports. After the first meeting of the expert group on sports last week, he said that this is a really good start in its work programme and it will intensify in the coming weeks. There is, however, no question of rushing the return to sport. A cautious approach is essential and all aspects of the public health advice must continue to be respected. Meanwhile, out west, Roscommon boss Anthony Cunningham, in an interview with RTE's Damien Lauder, stated that his players greatly miss human contact. Now, while rural depopulation in the west has something to answer for, 14 of his players are Dublin-based, though nine have returned home to self-isolate. Roscommon, of course, were due to face London in the first round of the championship and have a very impressive development plan, including a centre of excellence for GAA in the county. Anthony was cautious in how to return to action. As he said, getting back via the club scene would be a huge help, but the most important thing is that the whole environment is safe to operate in. Hopefully it will be. I think it will take that bit longer for amateur sporting organisations in Ireland to return to play with regard to testing and cocooning. He went on to say that I know there is talk of the provinces getting back playing rugby behind closed doors, for example, but for us in the GAA, with the community and amateur ethos of our association, I think even more precautions will have to be taken. If that means it's next year that we get back, so be it. Down Under and Rugby Australia have released three players who refused COVID pay cuts. Isaac Rada, Harry Hawkins and Isaac Lucas, all from the Queensland Reds, had their contracts terminated. Rugby Australia, who for many make the FAI look boring, um, are about to lose $120 million Australian this year. And of course, they also face a number of lawsuits and court cases with ex-employees, sponsors and players. As more English Premier League players test positive for COVID and the Bundesliga stumbles on, the Spanish PM Pedro Sanchez says that La Liga can return from June 8th, of course, behind closed doors. With 11 games to go, Barcelona are ahead of Real Madrid by two points. Next door in Portugal, the Premier Liga will come back on June 3rd. Their Porto are ahead of Benfica by one point with 10 games left to play. And finally, hot on the heels of the suggestion on Thursday by Pat Spillane, Joe Brawley and the Munster Council that they will complete all senior football, men's and ladies, hurling and camogie championships in September, the National Basketball Association, or NBA, look like they're going to follow their lead. Now you might recall that at the Juries Inn in Cork, Pat, Joe and the Munster Council 
outlined their plan to cocoon all inter-county teams for the month of September around the islands of Ireland. Now, of course, that innovative format would see championship games taking place on islands off the Irish coast. The Kerry legend said that the herding will take place on Fota Island. The football championships will go ahead on the Blaskets. Camogie will be held up on Rathlin Island, while the Aran Islands will host the ladies' Gaelic football. Now, the GEA have yet to respond, but in the meantime, the NBA are going ahead with their version of the Broly Spallan plan, as it's now known. They will be holding their league, or in a knockout uh, competition, down in Disney World in Orlando in Florida. There they have three arenas, hotels, which will be enough to hold all the games, host the players, and of course, all those needed to make the games happen. They're not the only North American Major League to do the same kind of idea, because of course, Major League Baseball plan to have their league in Arizona. Now, down to business, I'm going to have a chat with Cork legend Orla Farmer. Okay, we are delighted to have on to this episode of this Sunday's game, a Cork ladies football legend, a Cork football legend, let's leave gender out of it. And of course, she's also a lecturer in sports management up in Dundalk Institute of Technology, which is always very, very close to my own heart. A very warm welcome to Orla Farmer. How are you doing, Orla? Hi, Alan. Good. Thank you. Now, yeah, keeping well. <laughs> I was reading a story where you, you flew back from Winnipeg to play in a game of football, correct? Correct, yes, that was a year ago now today. God, the, the year goes by fast. I was presenting my PhD research over in Canada, actually in Montreal and in Winnipeg. And however, the league final was um, down for kind of, it was like the 5th of May. And I decided to come back and play the game and go back over to Canada the next day again to present at the second conference. Uh, it was kind of, you know what, it's, it was a once in a lifetime kind of an opportunity because like obviously presenting my research over in Canada was fantastic but um, at the same time you kind of have to embrace those those games and you know it's not every day you're in an All-Ireland final um, and I suppose the management kind of wanted me to come back for the game and we kind of sorted a plan so I said you know what why not do both looking back now it's probably a bit mad <laughs> when I think of you know all the the air miles I travelled and um, from, from Montreal to Cork and back to Winnipeg um, and Dublin. Uh, but look, we won the game and, you know, the, the things you do for the GAA. <laughs> well, listen, I, 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 I'm with you on that. I'll even go one better. Actually, I drove home from Jeddah in Saudi Arabia to Dundalk to play a game of hurling. So that's, and it was done in four days. <laughs> so I'm, I'm with yeah. you on that. I'm with you on that. Listen, all right, let's, let's talk first of all about uh, your footballing career. So still going strong. What got you into Gaelic football to start with? Uh, so it was actually in primary school. Um, it was my fifth class teacher encouraged me to the football team in school um, and there was a Sheenish Skull competition that run in Cork uh, so I just gave that a go and kind of my, my love for football I, I realised I actually really like football and she encouraged me to join the local club in Middleton I suppose I used to run I used to um, used to do athletics competitively when I was younger as well so it was always football and athletics at the time but um, I suppose I've just, just been lucky to have the opportunity then um, from school to go to the club and then represent Cork under 14 all the way up. Um, so I suppose I just had I just had a good opportunity and I embraced it. And um, this is my 10th year now on the senior panel. And um, so 
Yeah, it, it all started in primary school um, and it hasn't stopped yet anyway. <laughs> so 10 years, how many All-Irelands and how many leagues? So I have six All-Ireland titles um, with Cork. Uh, God, I, I, I'd actually lose count of the, the leagues because I think I've, I've six leagues as well. Yeah, six leagues, six All-Irelands and eight Munster medals. And you know what, like it's funny when you say that because I actually don't even know where any of those medals are, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I think my mum or my, my dad have them somewhere in, in the cabinet, but you know, it just goes to show that it's not really about the medal and it's the, it's the memories and you know, just running out under the tunnel in Co Park and winning like with some of my best friends, those are the things that matter to me and like those are the things that I'll all remember. Um obviously it's great to have six all Ireland medals. It's, it's more more to just winning medals. Like, I'm 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 hoping that we'll we'll win a few more. <laughs> yeah. Still, yeah, I mean if why not? I mean it's it, it's good to see Cork win at something because in the the men's side of things are not doing that great, but in Camogie and ladies' football years, they're flying. What what reasons, apart from you know what's in the water down in Cork, what why are you so good at, at Gaelic football? Yeah, like I suppose you know um, we weren't always successful, and I think that's the thing people forget that I came on the panel in two thousand and ten. Uh, I suppose I, I looked up to all those girls, the likes of Breach Corkery, Valerie Mulcahy, you know Breed Stack, all those girls that that, that had won. Um, and that were my role models and then to get that opportunity of, of playing with them but I think it was almost like a cultural thing you just bought into the to the culture of the team and you bought into the just the togetherness it was like we were doing it for each other and I think that's that's hard to create sometimes but I think Eamon Ryan who was our coach at the time as well he played a massive impact in that like um, I think it was from 2005 they won their first All-Ireland so they actually had won five in a row and I came in in 2010 um, and I think we lost that year but then we went on to win six in a row then after that um, so I think it was just the team culture, but I think it was like the players as well, just the mindset. It was like, I, I remember coming into the team and I was like, whoa, I was just so impressed. It was it was like just the want and the desire. And that was like inbred in them. And it was almost like a domino effect, like looking at the girls and you know how serious they took the training sessions. Like we had a laugh and stuff as well, but it was almost like you got in the door and you forgot about everything. You know, you were just fully immersed in the training session. You wanted to win. You wanted to do it for yourself, but for everyone on the team. And I think it was just that culture that Eamon created and that was there in the team that, you know, it, like as as they say, like, you know, success breeds success. And I think that really resonated with me when I came onto the team. I was like, God, like this is why we're winning because that belief almost, like that unwavering belief that actually, yeah, we can do it. And believing in each other, um, and that culture, I think, really made us successful. Uh, you know, we've had our downfalls as well, particularly in the last few years. Yeah, I just think it was that team. You know, they say you can be lucky with like a, a batch of players or a bunch of players sometimes. But a lot has to say for the environment and the coach athlete relationship as well. Um, and just that environment that you create amongst the players. Um, a lot is said for that. Something you said like success being success and then kind of the, the leadership, you know, being mm -hmm. reflected in the attitude of the players that they want to win, they want to come to training and developing this kind of family atmosphere. Something that John uh, Horan, uh, a couple of weeks ago now, I was speaking with him, we're talking about Dublin and how the Dublin men's team have been so successful. But from my, like, you know, me growing up in Dublin and him growing up in Dublin, you know, they would win in All-Ireland once a decade or two in a decade, but not that strong. But now there's that kind of, 
system in place where the Dublin players eat, drink and sleep football and they play football. They're very disciplined. Do you think that that's that like you could see something of yourself in the Dublin players as well? Yeah, I suppose looking back now, you know, sometimes it's it's when you lose, um, or you know, when you haven't won in All Ireland in a few years, it's then you actually appreciate, you know, what you were like and the success. Because when you're kind of playing, you you'd almost take that for granted. But I do think, as you mentioned about that leadership thing, I think um, I think just the want and the willingness. I think like having that like clear purpose. We wanted to win like that was our goal like we were we wanted to be in Co Park on the last Sunday in September and we made that very clear from the start so we always were working towards that goal almost being expectant of it but not in a complacent way like obviously like hard work and you know a lot has to come into play but I think having that clear purpose um, and supporting as you mentioned that family kind of feel environment I think that definitely played a massive part for us and you know even looking at Dublin as well like obviously the whole professionalism has come into play over the last few years but I do think you have to get the players to buy into a system and buy into that, that ultimate goal and that common goal um, but you have to get all the players to buy into it um, like almost even like the pyramid at the bottom of the pyramid like if you don't have that belief in that goal that you want then how can you expect the other layers you know you have to have that solid foundation um, and I mean, it takes time. Like, it's not sure. Look, Dublin weren't winning before. Cork ladies certainly weren't winning before. Like, you know, you look at the Kilkenny hurlers, like they obviously go through phases and patches too. So it's not as if you're going to be on that winning pedestal all of the time. Having that clear goal um, and definitely having that kind of support system um, wanting it for each other and trusting. I think trusting each other as well. Trust is a big thing. Um, I think that definitely, they're almost like the ingredients, I think, of of the success that we've had um, over the years. And it's definitely compar- comparable to Dublin because, I mean, they've had serious success. At their success, success, I know some people are like, God, will you give another county a chance? Um, but you have to admire them at the same time. Um, how much of an effect, negative or positive, has... Uh, having so many dual players, Camogie and Gaelic footballers in, in, in the Cork side? I suppose it's it's a tough one. I suppose myself, I'm not a dual player, so it's kind of hard to put myself in in that kind of context. But just from my own experience of playing football with some of the girls that have been dual players over the years, some girls are still dual players on our team now. Um, like, it's not an easy ride, but, I mean, you have to, like, you have to look, admire them in the sense that they, they want to play both and that they're, committing to both I don't know how in terms of like getting the best out of yourself in both codes it's very difficult in this day and age um, and then you also have things like clash, clashing of fixtures and which have has po- kind of posed challenges for us um, in the past unfortunately particularly for women um, I still don't know how they haven't got that right in this day and age but um, I think you know it, it does put a lot of pressure on the player um, but I suppose it's, it's, it's the choice of the player too in the sense that you know if you want to play both then it's not as easy as, as you might think it would be um, particularly if you know, both codes in that county are playing at a high level in the sense of Division 1 and they're getting to All-Ireland quarterfinals semi-finals if not All-Ireland finals every year like there are weekends where you're going to have a camogie match on the Saturday and then a football match on the Sunday. So that is very demanding from a, a physiological and a mental side. You're, you're putting all your energy into one game and then 24 hours later or less, 
you're going out and you're trying to do the exact same. But I don't know in terms of sustainability, like you have to admire those girls that fair play to them, you know, for giving giving a shot. But then you also have things like, you know, risk of injury and like they're obviously training more. You know, you look at their lifestyle, they could be training every day of the week. Uh, you know, where's their rest day? Where's their time for their family and friends? Um, if they're working, you know, long hours in their job, like the whole lifestyle side dish, like because at the end of the day, it is an amateur sport and they're not getting paid to go out training. But look, I mean, it comes back to the passion. Like if you want to do it, you'll do it. Um, if you want to commit, you'll, you'll put the time into it. And like, hopefully it will be an enjoyable experience. But I know there there, there has been times where, um, there, there's been posed difficulties in, in the sense of clashing fixtures and that's not fair like you have to kind of look at an organi- organisation side like maybe it's just a lack of communication I don't know the, the facilities and the structure should be there for our girls if they want to be able to play both um, and there shouldn't be any conflict there because at the end of the day that's going to come back on the players and affect the players um, performance and you know their mentality and their well-being as well so some girls mightn't be present at training because they're, you know, playing camogie or football or vice versa. You know, you you wouldn't want that to creep into a team kind of being like, geez, oh, she's training with the camogie or she's training with the football. Like, you wouldn't want that to creep in. Um, I know down in Cork were very accommodating in that sense that, like, both managements communicate and they, you know, they look after their player. Like, the player comes first. It's not kind of like an ego thing or it's not like, well, I want her now today or yes. like there's communication yes. there and that's key. You need, you need communication and you need from both codes. Um, I'm not pointing fingers at any, anybody because we've spoken with the Camogie Association and LGFA on the show. There is an actual disconnect between the organisations at present, even though they work quite closely together. You've got the Camogie Association and the LGFA. You know, m- maybe in the near future, they'll all be under the same umbrella. So it'll bring it all back in together and sort of make for a, a smoother kind of process. So um, just a final question, just on, on the Gaelic that football side, how sweet is it for a Corkonian to be way better than Kerry? <laughs> You're talking to the right woman anyway. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. We just love Cork, like everything about, we're, we're just proud Cork women. Um, yeah. Like to be fair, Kerry have had their success. Um, over the years and we still would battle it out um, even in Munster Final Championship um, and things like that but like they, you you have to admire Kerry as well for their success over the years but being a Cork woman you know I'm always going to support Cork ladies football and Cork people um, and I'm proud to be a Cork woman so Cork <laughs> <laughs> is it, is it is it a case of um, you know love Cork hate Kerry or is it love Cork hate everybody else no, I think but we give off that impression. I think it's like, you know, when people say, well, Cork is the real capital in Ireland and, you know, everything is like Cork. Nobody leaves Cork if you're from Cork. But I, I think it's quite the opposite. Um, I think we actually are very giving and we actually be friendly in that sense. And we want, we actually do want the best. Like I know obviously like for the likes of Kerry now or even the likes of Dublin ladies and stuff, they've had their success over the years. But it's not almost like, oh my God, we hate them. What can we actually learn from it in in that sense? Um, we've had our battles with Kerry. Now, maybe Kerry people say they might think different, that they might hate Cork, but I, I would never say hate. Like, hate is a strong word. But I suppose in, t- in terms of rivalry, we have had... We have had our rivalry over the years. In that sense, you we would actually respect Kerry a lot. Um, you're, you know, smiling, you're smiling as you say that, when you say that you respect Kerry, so I don't really believe you. 
<laughs> no, well, I do anyway, on behalf of, um, of the court ladies team. <laughs> okay, so... We'll it's okay. different now over, over the coming years, but at the moment, um, yeah, all is good between Cork and Kerry. <laughs> okay. Is it moving, moving off from that, and something that, you know, uh, the reason we wanted to touch on with the uh, dual players is because in GAA, you know, we're all amateur. Um, even the people who get, you know, paid to work in the GAA, they're still playing or coaching or volunteering. So there's, there is that kind of volunteer uh, attitude. And of course, then there's the educational side. And you have progressed through that education with the view, I believe, from, well, from your work, that to make a change, to make a change for good. Um, tell us what you've been doing with yourself outside of ladies' Gaelic football. And also, I really want to hear about um, Gaelic for girls as well. I became a PE teacher um, and I studied um, sports studies and physical education in UCC. At the time, I always knew from a young age that um, I wanted to kind of help people uh, through the medium of sport and just empower people. And um, I decided to go down that route. Um, and I suppose I was still, I was on the senior panel at that stage. So I was kind of, you know, in the zone of sport and coaching. And um, that was the route I wanted to go down. I always knew I, I wanted to teach and help people. So I decided to do PE teaching, uh, PE and Irish actually. At the end of my fourth year, just as I was graduating, um, an opportunity came up to do a PhD um, in sport education. So in the same department in UCC. Um, and it was actually the LGFA, um, it was linked to the LGFA. It's a, an exciting project, um, the Gaelic for Girls programme. So this programme has been running 12 years now, I think, um, in Ireland. And it's kind of targets girls that are uh, pre-adolescent girls that trying to introduce them to the skills of ladies football um, in, a, in a positive light, kind of non-competitive positive light. Um, and this programme had been running um, with a few years before um, they came to me. Um, but they, there's no evidence base behind the programme. So that's where my research came into it. So they wanted me um, to come in and kind of, I suppose, put that evidence base behind the programme in an Irish sports setting within the Ladies Gaelic Football because there, there, there are actually no studies kind of in an Irish context for girls. Um, and because the dropout rate for girls is kind of higher than boys, not only in Ireland, but everywhere globally, globally, yeah, yeah. globally um, that they kind of said, look, maybe we need to put a research behind it to tailor the programme um, to the needs of girls that age so that we can get more girls to participate in the programme. So that's where I came in because they said, well, look, we think you'd be the perfect candidate to take on a PhD. Slightly regretted that now, four years later. But <laughs> um, yeah, so it kind of, my journey, my PhD journey kind of started there. And I suppose, it was exciting at the time because I'm obviously passionate about sport and I play sport myself and um, I always wanted to make kind of a change and to help people. But I also was kind of shocked and alarmed by the the low kind of uh, like physical activity rates of girls, but also the kind of sharp decline coming in from primary school to secondary school. So kind of the pre-adolescent to adolescent period. Um, so I kind of always wanted to question like why, like why are girls dropping out and what are the motivators and what are the barriers in the way? Um, so kind of like in one way it's, it's kind of nice because my academic career is kind of mirroring my playing career. Um, I'm literally footballed out of it, but I always had that passion and kind of, kind of thirst of knowledge in the sense of like, I wanted to find out more from an, a girl's perspective and kind of like see what they think. Because um, it's important that we like 
we need to find out what their needs and wants are as opposed to just kind of making assumptions and sometimes that's that's half the battle that like you just have to ask them like you know what could we change about it because they're the ones that are actually experiencing it. Um, I took on my research journey in UCC, um, in the sports department um, in UCC, um, and I'm almost finished my PhD now. So I'm submitting in the next two weeks, um, and it's been a fantastic journey. And I've learned so much just about this, the coaching context and just in terms of like the mind of a young girl in, you know, in, in that sporting environment. Was it kind of shocking for you that, like you said, shocking already, but was it shocking for you that, girls would think like this because it's so different to what you would think oh absolutely like I some of my findings in my PhD were worrying to be quite honest um I suppose from my own perspective growing up like I was always kind of lucky in the sense that these opportunities kind of just came my way and I embraced them and I went on to represent my county underage and senior so like I'm grateful for that but it's not always that easy for girls and some girls don't actually want to go down that path that, you know, not every girl wants to play for Cork or for their county and represent and win all Ireland medals. Like it's not like for me. Yeah. That's what I wanted. I dreamed of that as a young girl, but you know, like 75% the pre-adolescent population in Ireland in terms of ladies football, that they only are playing because they want to play because they enjoy it. And that participation, that kind of like woke me up in the sense of, you know, it's not all about competition and it's not all about winning and, you know, being an elite player. Um, and nine times out of 10, girls are dropping out because of the competition, you know, and then that's what came through in my findings that, you know, okay, so when I asked them, why are you, you know, what would stop you from playing football or from sport in general? And the, the biggest barriers that were coming through was, the first one was lack of enjoyment. Um, coaches being too strict. Just the fun was gone. The enjoyment was gone from the game. Um, and then ironically, the biggest motivators were fun and friends were up there in the top three. Um, winning didn't come into play at all. Like winning was way down the line. Um, being with their friends, getting the best out of themselves, keeping fit, keeping healthy. Um, those were the, the big motivators. So I'm kind of thinking, right, okay, so the big motivator is fun and friends. Yes, the biggest barrier was not having fun. So I was like, there's something going wrong. Um, and that's kind of what opened my eyes to it. And this, oh, what can we be doing? Like, are coaches aware that girls just want to have fun and with friends? Do they know how to implement fun in a way that they're learning the skills? Um, another big finding that kind of shocked me in my research was... Um, the low skill levels, fundamental movement skills, basic skills now that children should have mastered by the age of six, if not by the age of 10, like are the foundation of specialised sports skills, but also, you know, they they link to um, lifelong physical activity, not just, you know, the skill base, but skills were really, really just the proficiency levels that they were, they couldn't master the skills. Like I'm, I'm talking now about like skipping, running, um, hopping, bouncing a ball, all and, and this actually aligns with research on a global level as well that um, I suppose in this day and age it's it's different from when I was younger because I used to be out and about playing jumping on trees climbing walls kicking balls off the wall my intuition was like telling me to do that but now like young girls and boys I suppose technology has taken over you know you have this surplus safety concept whereby schools aren't even allowing kids run and like for insurance reasons so like kids are actually deprived of exploring their own movement and of actually expressing that movement in general but also in a sporting context and like what opened my eyes was that some of these girls are only getting are only practicing the skills basic skills 
in that 60 minute training session nine times out of ten those kids aren't out playing in the garden they're on their tablets they're almost afraid to climb a wall because that's what's in drilled in them now because we we had more freedom growing up same for you i'm sure how i'm still alive at this stage after all the things i did you know growing up i mean from climbing trees falling out of trees falling off walls you know good like i mean it's it's it was a kind of death wish but very very simple things that you take for granted that i would take for granted but then you see it when you start coaching when you start yeah, and people and and their movement is very strange as well it's like they're like a a, a puppet that's had his strings cut um on, on that uh well two things one that just stuck in my head was that um cindy lauper kind of had the right idea where she said girls just want to have fun so you might want to use that for a future article that's <laughs> i give that to you for free um, two things one is that uh, it always struck me um when you say to people you talk about sport so of course like you i'm big into sport and, and so many times i've heard i hate sport i have no time for sport and you would never ever and i this is a, is a real beef of mine you never hear anybody saying that about music cinema theater they might not like one type of music or one type of cinema but you know, and, and, and in many cases, they associate sport with Gaelic football, with hurling, with uh, soccer, depending on where you're living. How do you think we just get rid of that? That we just, because it comes from an adult level, this is bet down from adults. How do we change, first of all, the parents' mindset and secondly, the coaching quality? I think personally, it's almost like threefold. There's no point in just like targeting the the, co- the the players like you you need to target the coach side of it and you need to also target the parents because coach influence and par- parental influence like play a massive role in just the motivation um of of the players as well like I know myself um like my parents would have always been into sport and really supportive all the way up if they hadn't been like would I be where I am now and not only that, because I've had some great coaches and, you know, some great people that have helped me along the way as well. But like to answer your question, I, I honestly just think it comes down to education. Um, if you went into a restaurant and you, you know, you received a, a nice meal and you felt good about yourself, nine times out of ten, you'll go back to that restaurant because the, the food was nice. The service was nice. You felt good about yourself. So like it's the same concept when you go when you turn it to coaching, because you know how can you provide that environment for players but also educate the parent because you know for the parent it's almost like oh look I'll just drop off the child there now and I'll do my own thing but how can you involve the parent more in their their child's interest for girls actually really um sums that up because it has the parental component but it also has the coach education component educating the coach okay what does an 8 to 12 year old girl want in the training session you know it's it's a pattern and it's habitual that like they'll want to go back and they'll get that you know they're exposed to that positive experience when they're younger I'm not saying they're all going to be ladies footballers or they're all going to be basketball players like it's not about that it's 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 getting it's so that they can recognize that okay yeah actually keeping fit and healthy and being around my friends is actually really good for me um and although some of them might drop out but they'll still they'll still appreciate that physical activity is good for them and they might go down another route you know that knowing that like physical activity is is good for you and that you need to create that 
from a young age. Like I, I actually lecture in um, early childhood and I lecture in a physical activity module and, you know, it, it's embedded into the, like from the first seven years of your life are the most important years. Um, and if you can create and that positive culture for them um, and actually allow them to feel good and confident about themselves, even if they're not even getting the skills right, it doesn't matter. Once they just feel good about themselves and, you know, and that praise and in the right way, and um, that can make a massive difference. But I think it's it goes back to education, that if you can educate the coach, the parent and the player, um, kind of almost in a triad, uh, then you'll, you, I think that will make the difference um, because you can't just focus on one thing. The Gaelic for mothers and others, for me, it was just an unbelievable initiative. It, it works so well. Um, and also then I know Danny Cork as well. For men, they have social hurling, which is a, a great yeah. success that people are enjoying. Uh, as my dad always said, I don't want superstars at 13, 14. I want rounded players at 33 and 34 because that way then they've gone through their career, they're healthy and so on, but mentally healthy especially. How do you think now with the whole situation with coronavirus, is it affecting you in a negative way or can there be positives taken out of it that we can actually hit reset? I think I think it's both really. Um, it just depends. It's dependent on the person. Like I know myself, it has really tested um my motivation um and my willpower and and my want you know and it actually has made me realize god I actually really love football I've never ever in my life taken a break from football and I'm like oh my god you know why my passion for it is almost like yeah okay it's it's confirmed because I'm like yeah I miss it and I want to go back playing but and in a general population like I would I would be fearful for girls particularly um in terms of like motivation because having fun and being with their friends, that social aspect is one of the biggest um, motivators for girls. Like that's stripped of them now as well. Um, and it's hard, you know, like I've been getting loads of, of messages from coaches, even around Ireland, you know, w- wondering would I be able to speak to the girls or some ideas for skills and drills to keep them motivated. So like I would worry in the sense that the social structure is is gone. Do you think on the other side that it's it's almost like a chance to improve on on skills and things that maybe you need to work on? Uh, but it comes back to motivation. Like it, it does really test your motivation. Do you want to be going outside with your football against the wall in the middle of all of this or will I just stay inside and just wait for training to come back up to the clubs now to kind of step up a bit um getting that kind of link even with parents even communicating with parents I think right now in the middle of all this kind of pandemic they kind of showed in a fruitful positive light that you know football can be fun um and that you know things will come come back to normal again but like I have found it hard it's 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 difficult like it's it's easier said than done it's some days I'm like god will I will I go out now or you know when you're running on your own and it's it's hard to know like good enough like am I hitting the right time am I like you you just miss that social aspect and you miss the whole kind of togetherness and that collectiveness because we're social beings at the end of the day and we we thrive when we're around people and now that's taken from us it's very hard and so it'll be interesting it'll be very interesting to see when we do go back playing um even what the like the atmosphere will be like or even in terms of our skill like will we be rusty um in the in the sense of like in that game situation like i'm just thinking like god i can't wait to see what it'll be like um, obviously players are tipping away now like you need to be together um, for that team environment like so it'll be very interesting FIFPRO the, the governing body for footballers unions in soccer uh, they're saying that the women's game 
is in a state of collapse at the moment because professional soccer for women was kind of going quite well before the lockdown came in, at least on the surface. But after the lockdown, it's going to just be nothing. And we've already seen it in Russia where different clubs are, you know, having to obviously cost cut. So the first one coming up is the women's team because it doesn't, it's not going to make any money back. It's a complete drain on finances. Do you think that the, you know, Gaelic games are sheltered from that for women? Like, so Camogie and Gaelic ladies football will be okay in that respect? The sense that I suppose the professional women are dependent on the clubs um, in terms of the finance and, and that side to, to, you know, it just frustrates me in that sense that like women, like we train just as much as men and they should, we should be getting the same right recognition. Um, but I suppose from an amateur perspective in the GAA, the LGFA and the Camogie um, Association, you know, we do have a good, um, you know, the Women's Gaelic Players Association. Um, it's a supporting body in Ireland um, and they're very, very helpful in terms of funding, but also just in terms of advice and resources and just that kind of platform for players Um to talk and to share, you know, what what they're going through in the sense of, you know, do we need to make changes and stuff. So I do think that the WGPA and the GPA in Ireland, um, be, because of the amateur nature, makes a massive difference in terms of like the support structures in Ireland. Um, you know, I know you mentioned a while ago in terms of like, because we're not professional, we do have other things. So like, I suppose... Like, you know, we, we have jobs and we have other things. Like, I know myself, I, I'm involved in probably too many things. Um, so I'm kept occupied. Um, and for me, like football, as much as it's like, it might as well be nearly professional in Ireland, it's like a release for me. Football is almost a hobby, I suppose, in, in that sense, even though it is like really a massive part of my life. Like when I have stopped almost now, I realise, geez, like football is only one aspect of my life that I have like a job. I have other things to be doing. So I do think that that helps in the sense that I suppose amateur players, particularly women, we have other things to be kind of working on now. It does kind of open our eyes to that sense. Whereas from a professional perspective, like it can be hard um, in the sense that now everything is taken from them. You know, they're completely deprived of football um, in terms of even like promoting the game more and stuff like that too. So, from the GA, like I'm just grateful from the GA side to things and the LGFA that they are very good. Like they're um, on nutrition, on yoga, on mindfulness, on um, starting up a business. You know, all of these platforms are there for us. We've, we've free coaching um, as well. So we can literally get a service of a coach, like a life coach there at our, at our, at our fingertips. Um, even just like so all of those support structures are so important I don't think the LGFA are going to suffer um, if anything I think there'll be more of a demand because we have missed it so much and um, I think that there'll be more of a want there um, and because the players in the meantime have been availing of all of these services I think that's actually going to help in the long term the sports media and media in general sports media for saying we can't wait till the English Premier League comes back nobody's mentioned about the Women's yeah. Premier League. So, but in Ireland, you, you can see it that there is chances for both, you know, male and female players and coaches. Oh, massively, yeah. 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 And like we have, I suppose, the 2020 campaign in Ireland has, you know, really just raised the profile um, as well. But I know Little have pumped a lot of funding into ladies football. And like, as much as like the funding, it is making a difference as well that you mightn't, or even people that you mightn't even think would be sporty are talking about the 2020 campaign. So it is after kind of creating that buzz around women's sport in Ireland, you know, even, even girls and even men are interested now in watching 
ladies football games, camogie games, um, women's basketball, like women's soccer. It is great in that buzz. Maybe because we're a small island as well and we like to kind of look after each other and we have that support system in Ireland. Um, a, lot go, a lot goes to show that if you, can, if you can get a campaign or something like that right and you can get the right people behind it, um, it can go a long way. Like it's not as if it can, like Rome wasn't built in a day. You can't just expect in the morning that, oh sure, everyone's going to talk about women's soccer. Everyone's going to talk about ladies football, but it's a stepping stone, you know, and like it has to be there for us in that sense, but it does take time. But like you have to look at the positives from it too, from from all sports, not just from the GAA. Like, and I think a lot of sports can learn from the GAA and from the LGFA. I think the ladies getting football run brilliant initiatives like Gaelic for Girls, Gaelic for Mothers and Others. You know, they have that support system there and that in turn at grassroots level creates a buzz and it brings in the family, it brings in the coach side to it and it creates a buzz at grassroots level and that's sustainable then, you know, because you have to look at the sustainability of it. I think the GAA, in fact, can learn a lot from the LGFA because I think the LGFA are miles ahead in, in some senses from the GAA in terms of promoting initiatives. They're open to new ideas. You know, they, they take on board research and things like that and they're, they're willing to change. You know, that kind of narrow-mindedness of like, oh, but sure, we always do it this way. Yeah. We, can't, we can't do it this way now because we've always done it this way. Like, just change it up a bit and take that risk and... God, how how is this happening? Because you just didn't take the risk. So sometimes I think it's a it's a mixture, like you know, obviously funding, education, but just take the risk, like just trialing out things and putting things in place. So th- there are no excuses. The jigsaw initiative as well. The jigsaw yes. mental health, and uh, of course linked with Lidl. So I mean, it's building blocks are put in place for long term success. And of course, as as I mentioned before, when we were when you walk into Co Park and you see that big. Uh, the the bridge, the railway bridge, going on Jones's Road, with Lidl. That's that for me just is outstanding, and it's it sort of it catches the eye and it keeps you thinking. Oh, um, it's fantastic! Yeah, absolutely yeah. fantastic. Just wanted to, to to ask you, what would you ideally like to see? For example, what kind of um, controls should be put in place to maximise uh, the effect of Gaelic football for? young girls and for women what 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 do clubs need to put in place yeah like i suppose that's a good question um you know i think there's just like there's no one way you know that works because every club is different every group of players you know are different but um like i suppose just from my own perspective and my own playing perspective and my own research perspective um well from my own perspective i would definitely advise like first thing is you know, getting to know your players, um, getting to know their needs and their wants. Um, as I said, every player is different. Every team has a different structure. But I definitely think having like a platform, um, whether it be like a program or some sort of initiative um, in the program with some sort of incentive, um, particularly for young players, work for adults too. But I think um, I know in the Gaelic for Girls program, like they have some sort of kind of like an end goal. Like they have, um, it's an it's a 12-week program. The first eight weeks, it's introducing players to the skills of ladies football. Then the, the last four weeks of the program, so from week eight to week 12, they integrate those players into the existing teams in the club. But they also get a chance to play in like a provisional blitz with other Gaelic for girls players or other girls that are new to the sport. And that they get kind of like a jersey and a, a certificate and things like that. So all of those kind of incentives, I think, help. 
the next step and integrating players into a club, um, particularly at a young age. Um, I know I run camps myself in Cork, obviously now not this summer, but we have jerseys and I know it's like, oh my God, a jersey, but it's it has a massive effect on the girls. Like we, we design them, they're like pink and turquoise and every year we have a different design, but like something small like that, like the registration in Cork has grown from the camps. Um, so the camps, something like the camps or the Gaelic for Girls programme are having some sort of a platform, give that positive light for girls and introduce the girls to skills in a, in a positive light, but also having like a next step. Like it doesn't just finish after the camp or it doesn't just finish after the 12 weeks. That, okay, oh, I did the camp, great. And then I go back and do my usual thing. Like what next? Some sort of a platform. You need some sort of an, not even an end goal, but like, like give them opportunities to play. Give them opportunities to practice those skills, like in a blitz, some sort of a game set up. I don't know, whatever you, you, you think as a club you need to do, set up some sort of an, an initiative to get parents volunteering into the club. That in itself will go a long way. Um, there, there are no right or wrong answers, but I think providing that platform um, and getting to know your players and obviously then, you know, whatever your players want, integrating that into your training sessions, um, the fun aspect social aspect that in itself I think will actually go a long way for any club not just for ladies football or the GA um, and it, it'll make it more enjoyable because I think people forget about that that you know you need to have fun like as well I know winning is fine but like you need to enjoy the experience and like always think of that like when the when when the players leave the training session if they're smiling and if they feel good about themselves then that's your job done essentially even if they can't get, still can't get the ball over the bar, even if they still can't get kick with their left leg, even if that still frustrates you that they can't, you know, pass the ball or they can't see that the good ball was supposed to be, you know, to the left of that person. Like, so what? Once they're enjoying themselves, eventually they learn things like that. But, you know, you just have to kind of go with the flow sometimes, know your players um, and have that platform. And I think, like, that will go a long way. Thank you so, so much for your time. Brilliant advice. We're going to take definitely great heed of it here in Europe. The very best of luck this season, of course, when you come back and uh, hopefully you'll get back on top of the pile and uh, at least beat Kerry and give Dublin a road for money as well. <laughs> That's the plan anyway. That's the plan. <laughs> Thank you very much, Charlotte. Take care. Thanks, Thank, you. Thank you. As the final whistle blows on this episode of this Sunday's game, we'd like to thank Orla Farmer for her time, wish her the very best of luck in her PhD defence, and of course in the football season when it restarts. We'll be back of course on Wednesday, so until then, take care of yourselves and each other. <laughs>